welcome to the podcast, Don't Argue With Stupid People. I'm your host, Emil Giesen. Welcome to the podcast, the first in the series, eh? People have been going on to me about ages, can we all get a podcast going? I've been saying I'm too busy and um, I've discovered I'm not busy, I'm just online arguing stupid people. Hence the name for the podcast and that's where we got it from. So here we are. And what are we going to be talking about? What is this podcast all about, you might ask? So, well, we'll just be talking about current affairs. What's going on? What you want to know about? So any ideas you have, send me a message, you'll find me online. Those who don't know me, I'm Emil Giesen, a former Royal Marine Commando, now a documentary filmmaker, and I focus mainly on conflict, current affairs. So yeah, this is what it's about, really, just talking. Um, I get annoyed with the sound of my own voice, but apparently some people out there, out there actually like it. I don't know who you are. So what are we going to talk about in this first podcast? So well, I was online, and I put a post up about, in Scotland, a former Taliban fighter has won the right to remain in the UK. So I thought, wow, the guy that we used to fight against is now living amongst us, the enemy living next door. And I thought, wow, what a crazy story. So I thought, yeah, I put something out on Facebook. And it was quite diverse, the messages and content that was coming back. Some people supported it, going, yeah, we've got respect to human rights. And other people go, no way. He's a Taliban fighter. He was fighting us for years in Afghanistan. How is he living next door to someone now? So, yeah. So I thought what I'd do is I'll send out a message there and I'll see anyone wants to talk about it. And... Loads of people did, actually. So this is how we started with the podcast. So first one here is about Mac Taliban. So the first guest I've got up here, so these are all pre-recorded. And the first one's Corbyn. He's a former British Army soldier. His brother was a Royal Marine who sadly died in Afghanistan. He was killed in Kajaki. Um, yeah, he was Corbyn's older brother. So let's hear from Corbyn. So it's Corbyn Mackin, a veteran from 1st Battalion of Rifles, served on Operation Herrick 9, with uh, Free Commander Brigade, left the military and the British Army in 2010. So why did you leave? <sighs> Jeez, man, the roller coaster ride. I don't think you got enough time to hear it. <laughs> Joined obviously the military, done all pre-deployment training, everything like that. And uh, here we go. Afghanistan is just around the corner. Went out to um, Southern Helmand in uh, Garmazia, was where my uh, unit took over. And uh, we just took over, I think, PWRR, who um, got a, uh, a good deal from us because they took over the Americans who left them all the decent food and left us jack shit. <laughs> um, yeah, is it. So, um, yeah, after the tour, oh, oh, whilst I'm on tour, apart from a number of awful things happening on there from, you know, get rough. First of all, like me got shot in, in the leg, which weren't great in our first uh, contact. Uh, I got shot in my, my day sack, uh, point man, finding multiple IDs. At the same time, my older brother, Travis Mackin, uh, Royal Marines Commando, also deployed on the same tour as me. He was uh, Northern Helmet in Kajaki, so Kajaki Dam. And uh, yeah, basically uh, he uh, st- stood on IED and uh, yeah, lost his life. That hit me uh very hard because you know we we're pretty much best mates i uh, grew up to it you know with each other same friend group um you know we were joking 
continuously before going out to Afghanistan about losing our legs, you know, we're going to have a stump off, mm. all the standard bits that you would say, which is all jokes. But the biggest pro problem for me now is like, not only the regret of coming back now without him, not being able to have those, those bits of him, you know, it would have been half decent if he, you know, he did just lose limbs and, and, and was back here as a person because we could still have that banner, you know, going. But to actually not ever be able to speak to him again. It must know, be hard. Yeah, it's freaking awful. And it turned my whole life upside down, you know. That whole tour was just one thing after another. And then the penultimate freaking big hitter was obviously the news of me, bro. And then me... You so know, where were you when you found out Travis had died? I just come off patrol. Um, in fact, I was just out after a contact actually, and uh, being point man, bombery, and all that stuff, find IDs and everything. As soon as I was sitting there, I was basically I was sitting. No, it's clear as day. It's just freaking awkward to freaking say it to be honest, because I hardly ever talk about it. To be fair, it's probably the first time I've probably ever talked about it. So um, don't talk about it if you don't want it, mate. Nah. <clears throat> While we're on the subject, I might as well carry on, but. So sitting there at the breakfast room, basically the first thing that happened was Rothman called Mac in, um, next chopper that comes in, you're getting out of here. Straight away I thought, what, me? Like I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a nobody. Like I'm just a Rothman, just doing my bit. And then the next thing is like calling Mac in, over the chat, over the comms, you're getting out of here. And the first thing that said to my, in my head was like, this ain't good. It's either up. A family member at home, something bad's happened. Basically, something bad's happened and he needed to tell me. But obviously, the biggest um, percentage of someone having a problem um, and getting affected by something bad was my older brother, also in a shit place like me. And it, it was, that was a fact. I sat down in the breakfast room, if you call it that. It was literally a bench. <laughs> Fucking yeah, basher. Yeah. Um, no hiding places there when the... Uh, the uh, mortar rounds come in anyway he just said to me he goes Corbin uh there's no no easy way to say this but uh your brother um Marine Travis Mackin has been killed by an IED in in Afghanistan from that moment my whole body I felt my if there's a soul right if there is an actual soul that people talk about in this world I felt it leave my body wow I literally felt it leave my body I, I it was so surreal because the biggest thing I noticed is it's not a lie. This ain't this ain't fucking around. This is this is real. My whole life at that point was about to fucking change. We were writing to each other as best we could as well. Like while we we're out there, I still got those last letters. And even written in his last letters, I remember him writing, Jesus Corb, I was sitting next to an IED the other day. How fucking dodgy was that? And I was like, fuck man, like that's sick. You know, standing back, like, whoa, you know, but just mm. do not contemplate how fucked up it is until you get home. And then you digest everything that you had done, you had seen, you have been through from being shot. Like I said, find IEDs, watching them explode, all that fucked up shit. So it's massively mentally affected you. Yeah, like I struggled for it. Of course it would, you know, that's pretty of a stupid statement for me there. Of course it would. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it, it was, um, it was, it, it, it rocked my life in, on another level that I never thought it was. But the only thing that probably kept me going, like without going into the details of the stupid things I did when I got back and, and the low places that I went, there's two things that kept me going. Obviously, my little bro, you know, loving to bitch, you know, he was just 16 at the time as well. And we got a real good bond. And, um, my my personality of you know I'm a winner 
and the military ingrained that into you, you know, it pays to be a winner. And I was always making sure I was either one or two in that pace to be a winner. And I think that also led me to, you know, have that fight of do not, do not end it. Like just yet, like just fucking bite tooth and nail, get through this. Like this is a speed fucking bump. It's the biggest bump you ever climb, but you go head on and you get through it and see what life can achieve. Not just that, do it for your bro. Like Trav wouldn't want you to give up. Trav would want you to fucking keep going, keep his name alive and all that sort of stuff, you know, all that jazz. And that's what I've been trying to do. So that's where my life's taking me at the minute. And you know what? At the minute, I could probably look back and go and be thankful that, you know, I didn't end it just at that time when it was low because I'm probably proof right now and that things can change around and you can have a bit of a better life on the other side. You're just in that moment right there and then where things ain't ever going to get better. And that's how you feel. Everyone, a lot of us have been there. Yeah, guys think they're at rock bottom and when you're at rock bottom the only way is actually up but when you're there you don't realize that you're actually there you think you can keep going but it, exactly. there's a lot of guys who have been in some dark places because of that but you losing your brother who you're so close to and where your brother died in Kajaki on Ant Hill um, I know it well in 2006 2007 I was fighting over that hill I remember yeah, when I was yeah. a 4-2 commando up volcano with a big massive operation where we took a place called Kalawak in China, cleared through it, and then went up to Ant Hill, and the light was coming, and it was time to go home. It was like, because it was nighttime falling, and the Taliban regrouped into Ant Hill, and all we did on our extraction is just call in fast jets and Apaches who just caned mm. Ant Hill continuously. So I know very well where your brother actually <laughs> died. How do you feel now, looking back at Afghan? It, was it worth it? Because also we're talking about this Taliban that's now living in, in Scotland. Matt yeah, Taliban, yeah. Um, and how he potentially could have been the guy, hypothetically saying, who killed your brother, and now yeah, he's living yeah. in the UK. What is your perception on, on the Taliban? And now I've got the hindsight in, in one respect. When I was there, I've got a sh- I tell you what, I'm going to tell you a story of what one time where it probably started to hit me on the head. And I'm not trying to take things away about how much good we probably did do there in one respect, okay? But we were in, in contact, right? So we were doing our patrol, standard patrol, and um, get contact left. Everyone's peeling up left. Jesus Christ, find the irrigation, or anything you can. You know what it's like. You're getting the rounds down. All I'm seeing are peripheral visions and where I'm at, fuck me. Like, you just, and you can't acknowledge it straight away, but you're seeing the little earth flicking up on the ground where the, um, the fields are. Obviously, you don't think of that as rounds just there and then. You just think, what is all those little things flicking up? You're just thinking, get to safety. As I'm running to get to safety, okay, I look back and all I see, right, is this girl, a small Afghanistan child, right? And she's there in the open, right? This is rounds going down. How old are you talking here? She must be about, I'm going to say, seven. So really young then, yeah. Seven. I'm going to say around seven. And all she's doing is she is standing there at this fucking compound, right? We're in front of the compound, putting our line of fire down, everything else. As we run past, I see this girl there. We get in the ditch there, start returning fire. And I remember her just holding her fucking ears like this, down. Didn't know what to do. Shit in her pants, obviously. And the first thing I said to my Sarge, man, I was like, Sarge, there's a, there's a girl there. Like, what do we do? Anyway, first thing, like, fuck that. I'm taking it on board in my head. I'm going to fucking just go and take her out of this fucking fire. I straight away just said, fucking, as you do, turn fire, whatever. I can't remember what I said now. 
as the f- we're getting returned fire back to the enemy, I'm just like, get out of this fucking ditch. Ran straight over from the ditch, grabbed this fucking girl, right? Ran around the back of the compound, which I suspect is at home, right? It could not be. But ran behind there, and then at the front of the door, right, there's just this freaking um, bed sheet as their door, as, yeah. you, as you know, like, they don't have doors, but... And all I see is the mum. Obviously, she did not come out. She didn't want to come out. Terrified off her pants, right? And I go and give, obviously, the girl just fucking dropped it down there. She looked at me, and this is the bit, right, which really sunk into me. I looked into her eyes, her deep, black, dark eyes, black hair, and it was not a thanks. It wasn't, she wasn't scared. It was like disgust. She looked at me in disgust and a bit of terror, I would say, but more, more disgust. And I thought, fuck me, man. I'm like, like, I've just given you your daughter from outside. Like, you know, that's a good thing, isn't it? Like, that's something fucking great. And she just basically from that moment, I thought they don't give a fuck. If anything, they want us gone. They do not want us there because they just see it as, the reason why we're there is the reason why there's more trouble. And that's how I've probably felt about it. Us being there caused more pain, caused more anguish. It hurt a lot of, obviously, the locals there. And I've seen it from mortars that we put in on, on compounds, from getting, you know, from returning fire, from enemy positions. And all I've seen was obviously kids being bloodied up from our fucking own and rounds and, and, and that's, that's what you're saying there I, I think unless you've been to afghanistan people don't you don't understand especially in the tribal areas and helmets yeah you don't understand the look that people have at you no there and it's, it's like a dead stare and dead exactly that walk. that's a great co- comment dead stare yeah dead people walk in they're looking at you and it's of course there's some people that are quite welcoming to you but the major- majority of them they look at us and go well if you weren't here that ied wouldn't be down that alleyway if you weren't here, I wouldn't be scared to go out my house in case I get shot. If you weren't here, the Taliban wouldn't be here in force. So, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Is, is What comes first, the chicken or the egg, when it comes to the violence? Is yeah. Were we creating the, the violence um, for the civilians? And it was, it was a tough call for us because we're trying to protect the civilians that are caught in between the two forces, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they don't really want us on the ground. They don't want us there because they don't really understand what the politics is behind it. No. So, well, how, so how do you feel then about this Taliban guy that's now living in Scotland? What's your well, when, when I look at it, right, deep down, and I'm, I'm looking at it on, on two separate points, okay? I've got my, my hatred hat on, okay? And, and my real freaking disappointed hat at the government. And that is the fact that I'm going to look at numbers now, okay, and, and what people have lost. Okay, not only have I lost my older brother, okay, from, from this war, from the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, whatever. Half of my training team that took me through the military are dead, okay. That's um, Steve uh, Thompson, Phil Scott, and um, Jamie Gunn as well. In fact, Jamie Gunn was just uh, one of the lads from our rifles, but my training team was uh, Tomo and Scotty, wiped completely gone top fucking good guys family men the lot you then look at all the families and all the other people that have been injured and also had deaths in there and now what you've got is those same people of the family members that have took a fucking loss and a hit 
for the country now paying a wage to that that Taliban like ask me if I'm wrong but is that fucking insane like what planet are we on like what <laughs> happens in the world how is that allowed how can we be fostering a Taliban like it absolutely grips my shit in one respect like it is like what the fuck is going on in the planet like for us to allow that to happen he's a known Taliban member like I'm, I'm lost sometimes with, with politics and everything else and I'm absolutely completely lost and I don't probably know enough about it to understand it but I just know on one fence that's fucking completely sick and wrong and it's damn right you might as well just took shit in all of the people's families that have lost members in, in, in that war okay or shall I say peacekeeping which was a load of shit um and that card alpha can go into fucking shit as well um so that's what you're doing you just you're just giving every single person that has lost something and even minds like my mind's gone to shit from there like and and that's not just a small percent that's a hell of a big percentage of military guys even a lot of my friends that even don't come come clean to get help i know they're struggling i know they are because we all feel it whenever we've met each other and you just what about the other side then Sorry. What about what about the other side to it then? You're saying this. So you got the other side of it, and then this is the political side, which I do not know, but I think. How how do you feel about feeling of this? Are you are you are you angered with yourself for feeling this way? I'll, I'll be honest. I think my, I'm I'm quite empty now. Like I'm an empty person. I think I'm just like in in uh, autopilot going through life. Just got my goals, my set things, and what I got to focus on to keep happy and positive, healthy mind. So I try not to dwell on so many bad things anymore, or things that can really lift me up to get angry, because I've got to be honest with myself, I worry for if I ever go to flip and I, I flick that switch and I go down the wrong alley again, I don't want to go there. I've got a one-year-old daughter, little, little ninja river, mm-hmm. and my focus now is on making sure she's got a fucking good life, and, and, and that, that's quite big to me. And even my partner, who's a great mum, you know, she's really good to, to river. She keeps me in a cage all the time, mind you, but apart from that, yeah. So looking on the other side, like you look at the politics, okay, so <clears throat> that guy is in England, all right? You gotta look at a couple of facts. Scotland. Yeah, Scotland, Scotland, sorry. Matt Taliban. Well, he's not in England. That's all right then, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in Scotland, you've got why is he here? Okay. So Big why is, has he given information to help our government to track down key targets in Afghanistan? Uh, whatever. What does he know? He must have a vast amount of information where he might have helped us. That might be a, re- maybe it was a trade-off. Who knows? He might have been someone higher up. You don't know. We do not know the facts of this guy. All we have got is, this is this guy who was a Taliban. He's in Scotland. All right, brilliant. We do not know how many possibility, uh, sorry, how many percentages of men of our own kind who he may have saved, all right? He may have given so much information over that. He may have done more good than bad. Yeah, he's a fucking dick for being part of the Taliban. But then you've got point number two, and every man here should agree with me, okay? Or woman. Was he in a position where his family was being held captive 
whatever for him to do wrong things to do sick things to all our oppos out in afghanistan and was he made to do it in the fact that he may lose his family they may have been beheaded you know how sick those bastards are okay you know what six things that they can do to us or what they have done right there is no limits they're fucking barbarians they're disgusting so i'm looking at it in that light as well and anyone here would save their family for someone for shooting some rounds down or fucking creating IDs and planting them for opposition that he has no idea about. And then you've got the other side is religion and culture. He may have been brought up in an environment which he did not know. He did not have the education about what he was doing in one respect. So you've got to look at it every single angle. And that's where you sit on the fence and you've got, you've got that bundle there. Has he done any good? We do not know the absolute um, key points of why he's here. Like, we do not know the, the whole detail on it. And then you've got the other one is, why the fuck's he here? I'm playing that guy away. He's killed all my fucking mates, my brother. And he may have been the guy that shot me a fucking day sack. Like, ruined my day sack forever. What a wonder. So, <laughs> you know, where are we at? Like... They're, they're my points. That's where I'm at. This, this is the thing is, the governments who tried to deport him, apparently, so that's why I'm, I'm trying to contradict what you're trying to say here. The fact is that if he was given a bit of information, why was the government trying to deport him? It's yeah. only the court, the human, um, human rights courts that fought his case for him to remain. So really, the chances are, yeah, it woulda, coulda, shoulda, but the chances are he's entered the UK, and this is speculation, I can't prove yeah. this, obviously, that he's entered the UK illegally, He's claimed asylum in Scotland. They've tried to deport him. They failed under the Human Rights Act. And now he's got the right to remain. So yeah. that's why some people, I can see why people are frustrated with it. Because the chances are he hasn't given any good information. And what, what information generally do the average Taliban member know? Limited, really, isn't it? That, you're right, it is. Because generally they are just, they are, again, on autopilot they get told what to do they do it they're freaking robots and that's it and they're not very good at what they've done anyway but no it's pretty shit at shooting um <laughs> it's the same well same as our soldiers is that you ask a young soldier go what's going on what's the bigger picture they're like i don't know what time's mm. dinner is it's limited yeah. on information you yeah. actually know and knowing that is information's only got a time frame a time span before it's useless but yeah mm. no it's, it's really interesting to get your perspective on it but the fact is that your brother was killed out there by the Taliban and you've been in a dark place because of the actions of the war against the Taliban. Um, but how do you feel in the sense of looking at that we were the invaders? That really, maybe the Taliban <clears throat> were guys who were fighting for their homes and we're the actual bad guys. How, how do you see that? I looked at it and at the same, same angle as like, we were there to protect the locals for the people and the ones that didn't want to be a part of being run by the Al-Qaeda, by the Taliban. They didn't want that. They want a proper, let's say, type of government-style strategy in the whole of Afghanistan. And, and, and that's what we got sold. We're there to protect them. And like I said, when I looked into that woman's eyes, that was where I thought, these are the people I'm here to protect. This is what I'm supposed to protect. And when she looked at me like that, after what I just did, it just, yeah, it really did change my whole opinion there. And not just that, like I said, I was in the middle of nowhere anyway. I was in Garmzia. And, uh, and I was looking around when you're on stag and you've got nothing else to think about, right? 
And I just thought, what are we protecting here, man? Look at what are we doing? Like, what, what, what is around? Like, it, yes. what yeah, for our standards of living, we look at places like Hellman and think, what are we doing? It's mud huts and people that aren't very, like, don't really want to say. How would you feel about meeting that Taliban who's now living in Scotland? Um, we, I, honestly, I couldn't. It's hard enough, like, getting the courage, like, build up a courage, like, throughout the whole day, I was thinking about this, um, actually, this chat, trying to find a positive light where it doesn't overtake my mind, you know? Everything that I've learned through, like, post-traumatic stress lessons, all that sort of stuff with combat stress and everything else, I've, I've learned so much now to try and keep it all in, but I think meeting that guy, I absolutely believe it may fucking flick my switch. Um, it's quite worrying because you don't know what you're capable of doing because at once you're trained to be an absolute killer um, and to survive, like survival of the fittest. And you just see enemy, you know what it's like. You feel a threat and you go for it. That's it. It's the same as when you're getting in a fight in town, like when you can't help yourself. The military training, it's a switch. It is like you're the nicest guy. Next thing you feel threatened and then you're swinging windmills. And um, that will probably be the same for seeing that, that guy, especially knowing he was a Taliban. You know, knowing it and seeing him, I don't know if there'll be that much anger built up that would unleash that. You, know, you don't know what you're capable of doing anymore. And that's the problem. Do you also think, mate, like you're saying, you don't know. In a way, do you think it could be therapy? Actually coming face to face with a Taliban that actually servicemen, not just you, but other people, this guy could be used to, in in sense of uh, therapy for guys, as in a trauma to get over and go, well, him explaining what the mission of the Taliban was. Do you reckon that, that, that's something I just thought of there? Yeah, well, to me personally, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I think there'll be a case where when the, the caseworker gets out of the room, I don't think he'll be breathing anymore. Um, for me, nah, I, I don't. I don't think that would be a very good idea unless it was between a freaking screen. But then you know exactly what happened. They'll have a civil conversation to start with, and in the end, they'll return in blows. Yeah. You know, like I said, it all depends what environment you're in in Afghanistan. You know, what situations you're in that might be real hard for you to get over or to digest, because a lot of it is about how you digest what you've been through when people have just left school. They know nothing else. Next thing, they're they're, they're dodging IEDs. And, and they're getting round shot and then they cannot contemplate what has happened, like I said, until you get home. Like, I was so unfortunate. And I don't know if it would have helped me, but I never had my R&R. So, because it was such an awkward case, what happened to me out there, it was straight off the front line, straight into Bastion. I was out there for, in Bastion for two, two and a half weeks or so until um, my bro was getting flown home. He's, I was like, half me couldn't leave him. I have to fly him home. At least that. I have to feel like I'm coming back with something. Um, and there was no R&R. So that's a lot of um, decompression time there and reflection on what's happened, especially with your muckers. I didn't have any of that. All my mates were still out there. I'd regret leaving them. I'd regret that I'm coming home to see my family. I didn't even know what to do. I remember getting half that plane and I was just standing around. I did not have that absolute energy or the faith to go and sorry just continue mate i just totally yeah have the energy to go and um face them like i could not could not face them one bit and uh that that was quite hard for me at that time because i was such a young lad as well 
everything that had gone on, dealt with, seen, done, fuck me, man. Like from from now, yeah, it's, it's quite a big deal, really. Um, and maybe if I had my R&R, things might have been different. I might have had time to have digested what happened, but, you know, such is life. It was just a whirlwind of uh, a roller coaster. So what are you doing now, then? Um, trying to be a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you yeah, ninja warrior, so it's all good through there. Oh, man, you ain't got enough time for me. <laughs> no, I haven't probably, but in a nutshell. In a nutshell. So, right, guys rock bottom. Yeah, that's me, Corbin Mackin. Rock bottom. Nowhere to go in life. No options. What can he cling on to to try and get himself out of this shit period? And that is, okay, his brother. The, one of the biggest um, people in, in, his, in, in his life, you know. And I thought, let's keep his name alive. What can I do? What do I like doing as well? What kept me feeling a little bit better? And that was fitness. Fitness always gives you the pheromones to freaking feel good or the endorphins, sorry. Pheromones, I'm sure that means I'm going to rape someone or something. Um, but the endorphins that it gives off is so good for you. I thought, right, I need to do some of that. And then I brought back to what was I good at in the military? Well, I was brilliant in the assault course. That was my thing. Assault course, I think I smashed like the fastest time in assault course in Catrick. I don't know if anyone's broken that record. And... Um, so I read up online and it said um, Ninja Warrior UK upsaw course racing event coming up as a competition online for ITV. So I thought, shit, that feels like up my street. Like that, that's a bit of me. So I applied for that. There we go. Start of my ninja journey. Did really well. Um, got to the finals. So I'm come fifth overall with not really any training. I think I had two weeks of training or so. Like I said, when you're in a deep dark place, it's quite hard to always have the motivation every day to go out and do fitness. So I just used what I had. I did really well. So I thought, I've got something here, Corb. Went on it again the year after, trained completely wrong. Um, still got to the finals, come top 15, but wasn't very happy with that. And that's where everything changed. My mind was in a, starting to be in a better place. I had a focus and a goal. I just needed to stop all the rest of the demons to allow me to train effectively to achieve something. And I wanted to be a winner. Like bringing back to them a military training of pays to be a fucking winner. Number, if you're not first, you're last. All right. So, trained my ass off, changed my job, started running a, like a ninja style obstacle course park, made my mentality a lot better. And um, next thing, I, I didn't get on Ninja Warrior for two years in a row, and I was absolutely gutted. And I had all this training done, but I managed to get on the Netflix series, which was the same obstacle course racing, but bigger, badder. Um, yeah, absolutely amazing. It was nine cold countries against each other. So, all nine countries all competed against each other in, uh, you know, who would win the uh, Captain Average uh, Rifleman Mackin, uh, smash the rest of the countries to victory. And it's still on there now, so it's Series 3, Episode 7, 8 and 9, I am. But it's a pretty good watch. And, um, yeah, so Have a look. that's it in a nutshell. And um, so I'm just trying to focus on that now. No, brilliant, mate. I appreciate your time on it. Yeah, that's all right. You know, it's really insightful, mate, really, um, your opinion on it. That's all right. Well, like I said, it, it's always, do you know what, if anything, like talking about that, uh, as soon as we've pushed stop, I'll probably go downstairs and I'll probably feel like I've had a whole weight probably lifted off my chest. Thank you very much, Corbin, there. That was really insightful and so honest. And um, just to hear that you've been in such a dark place and how you bounce back for it and your coping mechanism. So well done, mate. Um, the next guest up is Ed. I served with Ed in Afghanistan myself. I know him very well. And he's quite controversial with his opinions <laughs> amongst the lads. 
everyone knows Ed for being um, how is best to describe him now. I'd probably say people would say he's a lefty. He's now currently a fireman, and he has a totally different opinion and thinks, yeah, we should support this guy's human rights. Let's hear from Ed. My name's uh, Ed Breverton, uh, firefighter, uh, former Royal Marines commando, server yourself, Afghan, Eric 12, 2010. So, you, so you're in Afghan in 2010 with me, and we're in Sangin, which was quite a bloody tour with a lot of activity with the Taliban. And the issue yep. we had really is, it was coming towards the end of the Afghans where they were trying to implement the Afghan army to do more work, which clearly we knew they didn't want to do. And the Taliban wanted Sangin as a stronghold. So we took a lot of casualties in that area uh, because the Taliban were quite fierce. So from your experience, what is your impression of the Taliban? Well, from my experience, obviously, uh, I didn't get to know many of them very well. They were too Clearly. busy. Yeah, they were, they were too busy building IEDs and planting them when we couldn't see them. And, or shooting us from a distance through a tiny hole. But, I mean, my experiences then, when I was a lot younger and I was out there, obviously, I've considered them, obviously, the enemy when we was there. Uh, so, I think... So, would you see them as now, then? Looking back and trying to understand what was going on there, why I was there, it's all a bit up in the air, really. But for them, as a people, I believe that if they, were, if they truly believed what they were doing was right and in the eyes of, of their God and they were God-fearing, and they truly believed what they were doing was correct in the eyes of God, then I can't fault them. That's, that's, what, they were, that's what they were doing, and that, we were well, there. You can't enemy. fault them for planting IEDs, killing our troops, sniping us, carrying out attacks against civilians. You can't fault them for that. Possibly my choice of words was uh, not the best there, but what they, what they were doing is what they deemed correct. What we were doing out there is what we believe was correct. And as far as I'm aware, that, that's, that's all down to a matter of opinion. I believe what we were doing was right. They will probably, if there's two Taliban guys right now having a conversation about this on the other side, it'd be interesting to see what they said. But um, they were doing what they had to do and we were doing what we had to do. So you know, what, what, what I found quite interesting on one of my patrols, I was chatting to one of the elders through the interpreter. I was quite launching. I said to him, tell the Taliban when you next see them, they're cowards for not coming out and fighting us because... They're putting IEDs everywhere. It's like it's a coward's way of fighting. Come out and fight, um, yeah. man to man. And the, through the interpreter, the elder turned around and said, "Goes, yeah, but you call them cowards for using IEDs. Every time they come and fight you, you call in the planes and the helicopters to drop bombs. So really, yeah. you're as much of a coward as the Taliban." And that really meant something to me in the sense I took a step back and I go, yeah, "Actually, yeah, we've got all these weapons to our to our arsenal. Now, if we see the Taliban, we can call it fast airing." attack helicopters, javelin mortars, everything. Before they very primitive on what they were doing with their AKs, their PKM machine sure. guns, RPGs. So the tactic of the IED was a, was a pertinent tactic for them to keep us fixed in certain locations. But the bloodiness yeah. that we saw with the IED and the fear um, of men going on the ground daily is the psychological effect that had on us was massive because yeah. you never knew where you put your foot or where you drove your vehicle that you were going to get blown up. So it was yeah. a war of attrition with them in the sense that they were quite, they, we feared them. To, we're not, we wouldn't say we feared them. I, I don't really fear them. I mean, I wanted to go out and fight them. Sure. But it's a sense that they were dominating us through a, through a sense of aggression through the IED, which was a quite a pertinent tactic. But going on to the Taliban that's now currently living in Scotland. So you're saying yeah. that, yeah, you believe that they were, they were working on the, in the eyes of gods. Do you honestly believe that one of them Taliban blokes who's planting IEDs to kill us 
should be entitled to protection in the UK. If someone had done that during that time to try and kill us, and then they've changed their ways and they, they don't believe that's the, the right thing to do, and maybe, they, like they say, uh, that guy's going to have PTSD and he's struggling with that and he's struggling with what he did and maybe what he did to us. Um, yeah, but it's a bit ironic, then, isn't it? The fact is that he was fighting against us and now he wants to come and live in our country. You can see why people were a bit pissed off of him going, what, you, mate, you could do one. Yeah, sure, but I mean, where, where does that get us anyway? If we're just, just saying, oh, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do... There's got to be a line where we, we've got to draw it and say, right, enough's enough. You've got to... You've got to fit forgive these people for, for doing this stuff you can't just you can't just continually just hold on to it but, uh, the Taliban aren't renowned for their human rights are they well no probably not good job we are isn't it so we can but, live in a, yeah, that's, a good... that's in, that is an interesting one it's like how can you compare we can't compare ourselves to the worst we should compare ourselves to what the standards that we want to live to I get that I totally get that Yeah. you can see how people are frustrated the fact especially people that have lost loved ones out in Afghanistan or sure guys who are still suffering from post-traumatic stress, from physical injuries, and yeah. probably aren't getting as much help as they would like. And then all of a sudden, you've got this Taliban guy who's coming to the UK. He's now living in Scotland and under human rights laws. He's protected. He's being looked after by the state. Taxpayers' yeah. money, money yeah. that will, from the taxpayers going to this guy who fought against our troops. You can see why people are pissed off. Well, absolutely. I mean, forgiveness is the best form of revenge in my eyes. And what revenge? What, what, what do you mean what, what revenge? revenge is it, what revenge is him going, right, there's a three-bedroom house there, buddy? How's that revenge? Well, I mean, we don't know if he's got a three-bedroom house, but it's to say, look, you did what you did, and we're going to take it on the chin, and we're going to say, all right, let it be, and we'll, we'll move forward. And if, if we could do that, and we can lead the way of doing that, then hopefully other countries can do that, and also lead the way with, you know, forgiving, forgiving each other and, you know, working together to uh, improve society as a general. Rather than going out, um, supporting the Afghan army to fight the Taliban now, we go, well, tell you what, guys, put down your weapons, come over to mm -hmm. the UK, we'll house you, we'll feed you, we'll clothe you, bring your families over, let's forgive and forget. Yeah. I mean, but, that'd be great in my eyes. Like, why not? Get them over here. Show them, show them what this beautiful country has on board. No, nah, but, I mean, you're talking crap by, you know, throwing uh, something like that at me, like, but... No, but you're saying... If, we, if we could do that, if we, say we could do that, say we could do that, say we could get all the guys from Taliban and say, come over here, we'll house you, we'll feed you, we'll look after you, we'll show you what this country is about. I guarantee all of them, well, most of them will probably be like, well, yeah, I don't know what the fuck I was doing in Afghanistan. Like, these guys are sick. We was obviously really tapped in the head. This is a great way of living. And they'll probably be down with that. Well, clearly, some, some, like, there's a lot of people saying, right, the Taliban are terrorist organisation. Yeah, they're on the prescribed ter um, terrorist um, group list. But they're, they're an insurgency. They, in theory, you can look at it as that. We, after 9-11, we invaded Afghanistan. We were dropping bombs. We put boots on the yep. ground. So, so you could see on the flip side that they were an insurgence that were protecting their own homeland. Because all, 100%, yeah. if the UK was invaded tomorrow by someone, we would probably be insurgents. Uh, and branded yeah. terrorists by whoever was the occupying force. So I get that in the sense that you can't always say that every single Taliban is a fundamentalist, they're extremists. Because as, as you know, and as well as I know, we know a lot of guys were just $10 Taliban. who were paid yeah, yeah. small amounts of money to go attack the coalition, to yeah. um, put an IED in the ground, just to hinder us. And they, they didn't really yeah. believe in it, but when... You've got someone knocking at your door like us and going, hi, we're here to help you. We're going to build schools and um, 
X, Y, and Z. They're like, yeah, that's nice and everything else. But as soon as you go, we've got Terry the Taliban's going to knock on the door. He's going to probably yeah. break our fingers if we talk to you again. And he wants us I mean, to an ID. That's a, I mean, that's another thing I, I was looking at. So the guy's 41. So he was born in 1976. Uh, I, I think my maths is right. Uh, I, I believe that the Russians went into Afghan around 78. Yeah. 79, this, yeah. Uh, so this guy's born into conflict or war, fighting against the Soviets. More than likely, he was probably fighting at a very young age. I've heard that he said he was just a driver, but he was probably trying to just soften up a bit. Well, let's say let's say he was born and raised Mujahideen, for instance, the Taliban. So he's grown up into conflict straight away. He's fighting at a very young age against the Russians. Obviously, we, we probably played, uh, this government and the US probably played a part in that to help them out. And that happened. Where they lived, decided, after all the conflict was over, right, I'm going to be Taliban now. Us, all this uh, village here, we're all Taliban. And then you obviously had the Mujahideen, those yeah, guys yeah, are trying to, to do something point. different. No, I'm we, just breaking it down. You've got to, we've got to break it down. So he's then surrounded by people who are saying, this is the right thing to do. This is the correct thing to do. From a very young age, he's been having that. We're doing the right thing that Allah, that Allah says. So that's happened. He's there. Next minute, we come over, he's a bit older, he's probably a bit more mature or whatever, but he's still well in his ways that he's been taught and how to be. And then he's scrapping with us. Maybe he's dropped, he put, putting IEDs in place because that's what he believes he's doing the right thing because that's what his entire life has said. Basically, he's been living as a circle when the rest of us have been living as squares and then he's realised that that's wrong. He's made his way over to Scotland. He's probably thinking, what the fuck have I done? Got himself a nice bit of case of PTSD and now he's like, just living in fucking hell in his mind. But that's not my. And that's I'll, not my problem. That's no. That's no one's problem, is it? That's his problem. That's his. What is PTSD? He, take away the PTSD, for example. That's it, That's his problem. That he was born in Afghanistan. That's his problem. So no, no, just no, no. Not, clearly not his problem. It's just the circumstances. Well, that's what you no. said. But let's think. You let's said think that's his it, problem. Yeah. No, no. When I'm saying it's, it's not my problem. It's not right, my right, problem, right. is so, it? Really? Yeah, it's not your problem. It's not yeah. my problem, but it is now. So the fact is, right. though, that he was a member of the Taliban and, and, yeah, we can feel sorry for him for the reasons that he was brought up in a conflict zone and all this. Yeah, I get that. However, he's left Afghanistan. He's travelled through yep. several safe nations to come to the UK. He's gone above and beyond his way for his safety and better life. Why the UK? Why has he decided, right, I've been fighting against them? Bear in mind that apparently he's reported that he's wanted by the Afghan army why should I care? Why should I think my taxpayer's money and the guy I was fighting against deserves our, me to turn the other cheek for him to come over to the UK? You can see why people are a bit frustrated and people will be a bit annoyed with you who served out there to say, oh yeah, bring them all over. People can be annoyed at what I say. I'm not really interested in that. But like you say, he's made his way here because this country has open arms for all kinds of different people. That's what makes this country so so brilliant in my eyes is that we are willing to, to let anyone in what, uh, uh, and accept people for who they are. So we allowed them to come in. I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I had a job where I actually used to escort uh, immigrants back to their country of original origin. So I understand that these laws and these courts that they go through and the judges that they go through are so stringent. We'd have, we'd have people with, with all these brilliant cases saying that we've got this, this and this in this country, family, all this sort of stuff and that when they go back over there, this is all going to happen. And all these things get really broken down really well. And we used to just fly back all the time. So for this guy to, this guy's case must have been really up there for him to stay here. And the reason I think he's come all the way over to the UK and not these other countries is because from what I've heard from the people that we used to take back is that 
but all the all the countries through Europe just aren't as as uh, soft. Just aren't as good as ours. They're not as well, soft. Just not as good. We're going to say is they're not as great, of course, and um, that's why they're not called Great France, Great Germany, and it's called Great Britain. But the fact is that you know and I know that a lot of people, especially when I was following the migrants and, and other stories, is they see Britain and the United Kingdom as a soft touch. There's no doubt yeah. in it. They do see us as a soft touch. See our systems as weak, and they want to exploit it. And of course, I can't fault them for that. I'm not judging them for wanting a better life, but you can yeah. see why people are frustrated to say, "Right, well, enough is enough" on immigration coming into the UK. But when a guy chose to fight against British forces, committed acts against our troops, who's now yeah. come over here, who's got the cheek and audacity to go, "Right, tell you what, I'm going to come and mm -hmm. live here. I'm going to see if I can beat the system and remain here." That is a bit of a piss take, isn't it? I mean, if that's how if that's how you're seeing it, then sure, it sounds like a bit of a piss take. But you're saying that he chose to fight us. He didn't have a choice in that. There was no free will in this matter. He grew up to do it. There was it was just like just like his his like choosing a favorite color of his. He had no choice really, in. It's not. It's not. You don't. It, have is. To it fight. absolutely is. You don't, you don't have, have to fight. To fight. But that's what he's born into. That's like saying that. We don't do the ins and if he was born into fighting or not. But the fact is, you can't say it's like choosing a, is your favourite colour. There's a very difference between me liking blue and me picking up an AK-47 and go go, go and attack in um, a coalition patrol. My point is, is that he didn't make the choice to fight us. He was born into it. Like, he had no choice in that matter. Born in 1976, uh, growing up. In Afghanistan, he didn't have a choice in the market. Well, we don't know exactly where he's from in Afghanistan. We don't know. We can't actually say if he did fight British troops because Afghans are big countries, you know. So he could have been yeah. in various regions fighting against whoever. Could have been Afghan army or any other nation on the coalition. We can't actually say it was the British that he was fighting against. But I've been talking yeah. to an interpreter that served with the British forces. He was an interpreter here. And David Cameron said anyone who's registered for... Um, 2012 who was working can come he missed out yeah. by six months six six to nine months i think it was anyway he's now currently illegally got into the uk he was telling me last night that he's on so many antidepressants he wants to kill himself he's depressed because the uk keep refusing him citizenship in the uk and he's living yeah. in fear that he's going to get deported back to afghanistan mm -hmm. bear in mind he served alongside British troops and he hasn't got the right to remain, but this Taliban has. How ironic is that? It's all a case-by-case -case basis, isn't it, really? Um, I mean, you keep saying it's ironic, but that's, that's just the way the world works sometimes. But, um, yeah, but it shouldn't work that way. One guy's been an interpreter, risking his life daily on patrol yeah. of British troops. The other guy's been fighting the British troops and he's got the right to remain, but the other guy hasn't. That is ironic. So, I'll use that so word again. I mean, I, I, I think any, any interpreter worked alongside us. Yeah, surely, definitely they should have. Absolutely. But I'm not a judge. I'm just simply going off what you're telling me, really. You're at a patrol base, um, Jamil, weren't you? You're Jamil. Jamil, yeah. Jamil, lovely. I haven't, I haven't used that term for a long time. Um, <laughs> in Sangin, just the 611, you lost two guys in your patrol base, Scotty and Tino. Yeah, and yeah. How would you feel if you found out that this guy who's in Scotland now was the guy mm. who's responsible for the deaths of your mates? Would that make any difference to you? It wouldn't make, it wouldn't make any difference to me. Why not? It honestly wouldn't. It wouldn't because you, you can't hold on to, you just can't hold on to these things. It's not good for you. For like, 
I mean, I, I live with that every day. Obviously, Tino died behind me. I was point man, and I live with that every day. Like, I fucking, it eats me up inside more than fucking anything I know. But by holding on to a hate for someone like that, then that's just going to hurt me more. And I, I, it's going to do me no good. It's not going to do Tino any good. It's not going to do Scotty any good. Like, you just got to accept that what happened out there was past and that, that, that occurred. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to define me. It doesn't have to define us as a country. We just have to move on from it. So for me, I, it, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me. They were the enemy and we went out there to fight them because, you know, they were, they were horrible bastards. But really, I don't know this guy, but he, he probably isn't. He probably isn't a bad, like a bad guy. Like, he's probably you all right. Horrible, you just said they're horrible bastards and now you're saying, but well, this guy's probably okay. Make your mind yeah. up. Are they horrible bastards or are they okay? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want a horrible bastard living next to me. Is he still an active member of the Taliban? Can you really be an active member of the Taliban in Scotland? I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. Well, yeah, you, not not really. You'll get chinned. But um, <laughs> like, <laughs> probably on the Buckfast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Iron Brew. It's probably yeah. It's probably got fuck me. This is quality, man. So they're not really the enemy anymore. You know. But we're still, still competitions. Uh, There's still enemies against the Afghan army and the military and the government, which we support. The British coalition, to a certain degree, is still carrying out certain operations, combat operations, yeah. or operations against them. So they're still very much an enemy or against the UK. Yeah. So really, the fact is that this Taliban is saying, I can't go home because I'm in fear of my life. I've got post-traumatic stress from the, com um, the conflict there. That's a yeah. bit... Bit insulting, really, isn't it? Shouldn't he? Shouldn't he be deported to back to Afghan um, to the government and the police and the courts to deal with him in Afghanistan? Afghanistan said he's a criminal. We want to try him. Then I, I think, yeah, we were. You know, obviously, when we went to Afghanistan, we worked alongside Afghanistan. I think it would be a bit cheeky of us to say, no, you can't have him. We, it, I think then it becomes more of like, like a criminal matter. Oh, he's he's due in court for this and that, right? We should send it back, yeah. I, if that's the case, everyone should should be tried for, for their crimes. If you strip someone of their human rights, there's absolutely no, no chance they're going to better themselves. So I think we're all, we're all entitled to all human rights. And I think if you're saying they shouldn't be allowed human rights because they did this, that and the other, then we're just going to get nowhere. Like He's entitled to his human rights and we should do everything we can to ensure that he keeps his human rights. And as I told you before we started the interview with Ed, that his opinions are a bit out there. And yeah, he's, he's a good guy, Ed. I'm not disputing that. But he does come out with some crazy ideas and you have to respect him for that. So thanks, Ed, for your time. Moving on to the last guest that we've got on this one is a gentleman called Jay. And Jay came online and he was adamant, no, this guy should not be in the UK under no circumstances and he should be sent home and his human rights don't exist. The thing with Jay... Jay was a British Army soldier who was blown up in Afghanistan and lost both his legs. So let's hear from Jay and what he thinks. My name's Jay Baldwin. Uh, I spent 12 years within the, um, the Princess of Wales's Royal Regiment, uh, which is a local southeast regiment. Yeah, so I joined in 2003. I went through the ranks up until 2012 where I was injured in Afghanistan. Uh, got both my legs blown off. And then I was medically discharged in 2014. Otherwise, I probably would be still there now, just cutting about doing what I needed to do. So you're saying there you lost both your legs in Afghanistan, but that was the second time you were blown up, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the second time. The first time was in 2008, where I was in a warrior armoured fighting vehicle 
and we went over a, a point that that should never it was never a um a vulnerable area a vulnerable point it should never have been targeted but for whatever reason it was and you know next thing you know it was what i mean is by that it was in direct line of sight of one of our friendly call signs that should have had eyes on should never have allowed it to happen it was only 150 meters away from their location give or take so it should never have happened so yeah it happens these things happen like you're like you're saying there when i was in sangin in 2010 and in fob nole literally outside of our base on the hill on the way down no less than 50 meters from one of the sangers where the guard is they managed to get an IED in there. Right. So they're good. They, they, they exploit every bit of dead ground possible. They know yeah. the ground, unlike us. I think the Taliban are brilliant. Like, and, and then people will say, what's he going on about this guy? But I actually think the Taliban are absolutely brilliant. I, I do a talks about realities of war to uh, new recruits going through ITC Catrick. And I will say to them, the Taliban, if you used to look at what they have in terms of their kit and equipment, they are the best around. If you used to give them our kit and equipment, and our training and our knowledge, they'll be absolutely phenomenal. You know, like they, they would be, you know, but the way that they kind of cut around in flip-flops and, you know, just no body armour, weapons that they've scraped around a barrel from, from the whole of Afghanistan, and they managed to inflict 456 casualties in terms of deaths on us. I, I think they're brilliant. People the, majority think they're them, the majority of them couldn't shoot for shit, though. No, I agree with that, but... In, like some of them don't need to suit. I, and I do believe there's two types of Taliban. You've got your local Taliban where, where they just try and stick and defend themselves. And you've got Taliban, which proven with documentaries that come from outside of Helmand province to come in and fight that have probably been through strict training camps and gone and done what they needed to have done. So it depends where you are. I know that in Sangin and, and Musakala, when I was in Musakala, you know, we had, we had the rough guys there, you know, they're the ones that are coming from the training camps. And then, well, my second tour was in Nadi Ali. We probably had like the local Taliban that probably just thought, do you know what? I'm going to go out today and just have a scrap with these lads and just not get anywhere. So yeah, there was two types of Taliban. Yeah, probably some of them can, you know, shoot for shit, as you said. But um, let's not forget that other, other people come in and help the Taliban out from different countries. I don't want to sit there and say that people come in from X, Y, and Z country, but they do and they've got um, long barrel weapons that they can use very, very accurately. And it, yeah, definitely. You're right there, totally. There's a lot of external influence, especially from nations like Pakistan, from Iran, Chechnya, that were coming in, potentially training certain fighters in the areas. And they, like, like you're saying there, there's a massive difference between the $10 Taliban who are going out, yeah. putting IED in, or going to shoot up a um, coalition patrol, and the yeah. hardline fighters. So you're, you've lost both your legs there. Yeah. What have you done now since leaving the British Army? Um, so I left the Army, and then I actually didn't get on with the prosthetic legs that I was given Headley Court. Now, I should probably take a lot of responsibility for that. I hated Headley Court. I felt like I was being treated like a private soldier again. I didn't like it. And I just went from there. But you know, part of my reason for the, for the sockets was I was up and down in weight like nobody's business. I was One minute I was like 17 stone, then I was in back to 13 stone. And the, the problem and the issue came was with the sockets that most people won't even know about this, but the sockets that go around your legs for the prosthetics um, are carbon fibre. Now, if you put on weight, you're not going to fit in them legs. If you lose weight, you're not going to fit in them legs. And there's no kind of in the middle, in the balance. You've got to try and keep, you know, for our, you probably go a couple of pounds over, but you need to keep your weight bang on all the times. And I absolutely hated it. So I just give up. And I only ever used to wear my sockets to go and play golf. <laughs> In 2015, I went to Australia to see a, a surgeon, Munjir um, Dalmadiris, his name was, and he done our serial integration. And basically what that means is I've got a metal titanium rods implanted into my femurs. 
Um, so I can wear prosthetic limbs and just cut about as if nothing was a normal day. So you were saying there about the Taliban, like you respect the Taliban as fighters and such. Yeah. So talking about Matt Taliban, the Taliban fighter that's now currently living in Scotland, who's been granted yeah. asylum in the UK. Someone who was injured fighting against the Taliban and your whole life has changed physically yeah. and mentally because of that. How do you see the British government and the courts for allowing this guy to stay in the UK? Well, as per our Facebook discussion that we had on it the other day, I, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I, I don't completely agree with it. Now, your argument was to sit and say, yeah, everyone's got human rights, but let's compare human rights. Like can, any country you go to, like someone's human rights in the UK to what it was would be in Russia or China or Saudi Arabia, where, you name any other country you want in your life, even if, in America, human rights in terms of the country that they're in are different. You try to go to Afghanistan and claiming human rights. You know, or go to Iraq and try claiming human rights if you get captured by ISIS or if you got captured by the Taliban. You know, we can sit there and, and I don't want to dig out any names or any kind of scenarios, but there, there have been guys that have been captured in Afghanistan by um, the Taliban and they've been brutally tortured and murdered. Um, but you can't, you can't, what I was saying to you before is that you can't judge our standards on someone else's standards. The fact no. is, whatever <laughs> another, another country does in their sense of human rights, we shouldn't be judging, oh, well, they do that, so we're going to act in accordance to this. We do it because we uphold human rights. No, no, and, that, and, that's, and that's fine. But whereas we're fighting these people and they're coming across and they give it the, you know, inverted commas, we're scared, can't go back to my country, I fear for my life. You know, that's an easy ticket to get into this country and, you know, for them to and assess the situation and go from there. You know, who's to say that, you know, all these guys, are, you know, traveling on these illegal boats or whatever coming over to the country or getting in the back of vehicles if they were all to have that knowledge of exactly what to say they're you know they're scared etc etc they'd all get into the country and it goes you know we've only had a terrorist attack what i think even since we've had that um, conversation where three people were stabbed and killed in Reading the other day because i'll come on to it because who's to say that that guy wasn't at one point fighting with isis or fighting with the taliban at some point who, who nobody knows that Nobody will ever know it unless, obviously, the MI5 or, or MI6 are actually literally <clears throat> so involved with a, a said individual. But who's to say this guy is not coming over to claim, claim asylum with our human rights? Yeah, OK, even if he was here two, three years, who, who, who's to say that he wasn't a top-tier commander that knows the ins and outs of Al-Qaeda, Taliban, ISIS have got connections galore that can do whatever he needs to do. Who's to say that he's not that person? So what you're saying then is we can't take the chance. We've had so much in this country in the last, what, from two, was it 2006 or seven when we had the, um, not even mentioning the Twin Towers from, from whatever, and we, I'm not even going to go into that, but in terms of the UK, was it 2006, the London bombings? 2005. Oh, 2005. Okay. Um, not even to mention them, and then going and then we had the London Bridge ones a couple of years ago, and then we have, we've had a lot of stuff going on in this country recently and i just don't feel for one minute that we should allow anybody that's fought uh, our british forces across from overseas we don't know who he is like nobody's got any background on him who cares that he's scared like in well, someone must have that's and that's the thing someone must have some information on him like we we we, we can pick up someone from the taliban we don't have no information on him even if they're a top tier commander even if they ran helmand province we wouldn't know he's a top tier commander we wouldn't know their name Come on, we, it took us how many years to find Bin Laden? Like, well, this know, is the thing. Since the last time we spoke is the Reading terrorist attack, the, the killing, the stabbing of three individuals in the park, random stabbing as such, um, in the sense that the guy there was an asylum seeker. 
So I can get what you're saying and how many people probably portray it and go, this Taliban guy who actually was an enemy of the United Kingdom, who was fighting against our troops, is clearly more of a threat than this random guy who's an asylum seeker from Libya. So I get what you're saying there, and I can see that. But you, with your personal story, that the fact is that you lost your legs fighting against the Taliban, do you see it differently? Well, let's go on to losing my legs. And now, I, I'm not, not patronising you by saying this. How did I lose my legs? Generally speaking, a lot of the guys lose their legs through an improvised explosive device, IEDs. Yeah. What I know from me being in infantry, you know, they say there's five component parts to, to an improvised explosive device. I couldn't, without going onto the internet, come up with a plan to build an IED to go and blow somebody up. Right? I just couldn't do that unless I went on the internet. People with inside the Taliban are specialists. They're experts in their field in the sense that they can make IEDs. So these guys are subject matter experts in building homemade explosives, whatever, using whatever materials they've got, and their materials are very limited. Come over to the UK now, this Taliban guy, who knows what his background is in terms of the Taliban, but let's say the worst case scenario is he was building IEDs for eight years against coalition forces. He comes over, B&Q's down the road. I'm sure, I'm positive that a Royal Engineer or, or somebody that's ATO or trained would say, yeah, you can go into B&Q, build whatever you want to build, and he can do whatever he wants to do because he's got that subject matter and he's got the intent and he's got that hatred within him somewhere to go and do that. But what now, if, though, he hasn't yeah. got a hatred, he hasn't got the intent, and he's Taliban by association. He imagine this guy now is a $10 Taliban who's decided, right, this is not what I want to be. I don't want to be part of the Taliban. It's just because I'm here in Afghanistan. He then becomes an asylum seeker. He leaves Afghanistan, travels all the way across Europe, and ends up in the UK. That he's got no hostile intent to harm anyone in this country. Should that be taken into consideration in the sense that, okay, yeah, you, you did enter the country illegally. However, under your human rights, we're going to protect you. We're going to potentially give you asylum here not everyone from the taliban is a hardcore extremist yeah of course but then i would just say prove it how can you can't prove it it's the same as this asylum seeker the other day in reading he probably give the same sob story about what this guy's doing from the taliban now uh, he's claiming asylum he, he fears for his life etc etc wherever he's would have come from libya yeah so that's a worn torn country yeah he fears for his life and i don't know i don't know who you sit in front of in terms of the panel and say, no, 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 listen, I was part of the Taliban for association or whatever else it may be. Bring myself down that little peg a little too from what I was and then say nothing. But two, three years later, I've now, you know, recruited amongst the UK 20, 30, 40 people that, that are going to now conduct future attacks on, on home, home, homeland soil, if you like. Look, prove it. That's my point is to prove that you're not, you can't. You, you are associated with the Taliban. Wherever you like it or not, you're Taliban, mate. So, so would you say then any nation that the United Kingdom's been at war with, we shouldn't allow any of their citizens? Or... Because the Taliban are actually current and ongoing. Now, if you used to speak about like, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with, uh, well, I know obviously World War II and I know my history, but in the sense of like, we used to have like Nazis and whatever. If you had somebody that was convicted for whatever reason, that was a Nazi or whatever, come into this country and claim asylum because he fears for his life that the Germans that are now trying to live their normal life, come over, you'd be like, no, mate, because why are you not going to bring that hatred and whatever you've got over to this country? It's exactly the same, you know? And we can sit all day long and say, you know, you know, Americans fought in Japan. and We can sit all day. We go back hundreds and hundreds of years. But the fact of the matter is that they're currently still active. You can, you can sit there and say Taliban, ISIS are exactly the same level on, the, on a scale. 
you know, they've both still got the hatred towards us. They both still want to, you know, in the terms of the biggest ground, not talk about individuals, talk about as an organisation, if you want to call them that. They still got that hatred towards us. Why would we now, as their current enemy, so would want to go and um, give them an opportunity? Let's not forget as well, we all know how Al Qaeda is funded. We all know the Taliban have got links into them in terms of funding via drugs, etc., etc. We can go through the whole chain of Al Qaeda, Taliban. You, you, these guys can't be trusted. Okay, you so can't some of the soldiers, like when you're working with them in Afghanistan, how many soldiers or police have killed our British soldiers? Yeah, there's been you a know, lot of um, green and blue. Yeah, exactly. But it's okay, so put it this way then. Just say, for example, you've got a guy called Tarek. Let's call him Tarek. He lives in Musakala. He's a 24-year-old. We're now occupying Afghanistan. There's no jobs. There's no work for him. The Taliban come along and they say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to pay you $20 a week. Here's an AK-47, $20 a week. And all we ask for you is whenever we raid German, you're going to go out and shoot against them. Is that guy a threat to the UK? Is he really a terrorist? Or is he just a simple man who's in the wrong place at the wrong time? He's just trying to survive. Okay, that's 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 probably the best possible situation for that individual, Tarek. As I said at the, the beginning, let's say Tarek ran the whole of Helmand. Let's say he was the like the leader for the whole of Helmand in terms of the Taliban. But he's not. Say, I'm giving you an example of this one guy who's not. Yeah. Okay, but then even even still, like we could sit there day, like compare it to the UK. You know, sit there with people without jobs. If I was to say to somebody, you know, not that I am anywhere near this, but, you know, I could say to someone, you're right there, Adam, for example, and you ain't got no money, have you? Okay, how do you about fancy earning 200 quid a week for me, mate, running these drugs about? Does that make him any less of a criminal Tarek would be for doing what he's doing? No. Because he needs a bit of money? I don't know, that's, that is a good point. He's still carrying out criminal activity, but we're talking about his moral fiber as an individual. Is he really a bad guy in the sense that he's just trying to survive. And this is what I'm trying to say. For example, you, is Adam a bad guy? Is Adam a bad guy because he's earning himself 200 quid running around drugs? Of course he is because he's probably selling the drugs to 14, 15, 16 year olds. It doesn't really matter who the ages are, but you know, these people do die, get addicted to drugs. But is he any different? No, he's not any different. And who's to say that even if he was just being paid $20 a week by the local Taliban, not to have a sustained firefight, just to, you know, shoo him away, he may have been one of them guys that gets a random bullet in my leg, your leg, your mate's leg, your mate's head, my mate's head. You know, he still has committed those crimes against the British forces. But now looking at the Taliban, who are Afghanis, who were no threat to the United Kingdom beforehand, before 9-11, there were no threats to the UK. In 2001, 2002, we went into Afghanistan and remained there to 2014 and still carrying out certain operations to this day now. Can you see why they were fighting us? That we could, we could brand them in this urgency terrorist, evil and all this. But really, on the flip side, if someone now invaded the UK, would, would you potentially become an insurgent yourself? It, I mean, we had, you've got to remember as well, we had the government on side. You know, the Taliban were there. Right. No, 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 he's, no, he's saying it's right or it's wrong, but we had the government on side. We went there to go and deal with the issue of, and as I said earlier, like, we could get into the nitty gritty of it, of why we went there in terms of, you know, the funding for Al-Qaeda, Tada Al-Sada and, you know, all them kind of guys. It all relates into the same thing, I believe. Um, that's my opinion anyway. And I believe it comes from the drugs of, of, of the Afghanistan and it's where it goes up and goes funded. And it all comes back down to them. I'm not going to say we were invited into the country as such, but, you know, we were there to do, it, to do a job and for a reason. And if we're trying to work alongside the police and the Afghan army uh, and we're trying to mentor them to kind of, there is an issue with the Taliban, regardless of where they're or not. The Taliban are still trying to occupy Afghanistan and run the country. We're, we're, 
not doing it legitimately in terms well, they of they did the run the country they were the official government at the time well they're not now are they so they're clearly not now because obviously we went to war with them so, my, my first tour of afghanistan was jakarna in 2002 when we went up to the pakistan border with four five commando and then went back again helmand province 2006 2007 with four two commando mainly in kajaki i spent there and then herrick 12 and sang him with 40 commando which is quite a bloody tour for us really but most of them areas there are now under occupation of the Taliban. Yeah. So in the sense that, yeah, we've done a good job, we're brilliant, we hearts and minds and all this stuff. Really, some people will look at it and go, what did you lose your legs for? What did X, Y, and Z die for? Because really, there's nothing really changed in these regions. Yeah, of course, the Afghan government's more secure, more stable, the Afghan army are pushing out certain areas. But the Taliban still, with the peace treaty they've got now in place, have still got a massive control and influence over the country. So really, was 14 years of combat operations actually worth it in that country? No, I think we left a little bit too soon, if I'm going to be honest. Should we still be there now? Mm, I don't know. All the Taliban that we went up against, not all of them were bad guys. They were, yeah, the bad in a sense, that moment in time fighting against us, we're the bad guys to them, they're the bad guys to us. So someone who now has travelled all the way across the world to get to the UK to settle, should we not give opportunities to people to change? Do people, you, you're not the same guy that you were years ago. I'm not saying, 100%, I'm not the same guy that jumped yeah. out of a helicopter on the Pakistan border in 2002. Totally different person. Yeah. So no, really should we not look at this and then go judge case by case and go, okay, yeah, we did carry out operations in your country, which resulted in a lot of people dying, and that maybe we will give you the opportunity to remain here in the UK. No, he's still a criminal. He's Why? Still conduct- in whose court? What? Why is he a criminal? He said he was Taliban. Okay, so what he about the French resistance? Against- huh? The French resistance during World War Two are they criminals? No, but that's that's we, we that that, like this is World War. This is World War Two, and it's like sixty years ago. It's like saying nobody well, from France different? from this country. But what? Why is that different? Well, it's, it is because this guy, is, we, we've literally left Taliban. Uh, sorry, Afghanistan in two thousand fourteen. The Taliban are still current and active now. And we're sitting there saying, that's all right, mate, you can come into this country. You know, so, so, what, so what, what would your plan be then for, so, for someone like this guy here, Matt Taliban, is that he's saying that his human rights would be violated if he was turned to Afghanistan, that he fears for his life. Would you expect the British government to go, that's irrelevant, I don't care, put him on a plane and send him home? Yeah. The fact of the matter is, you've told us you're Taliban, or we know that you're Taliban through X, Y, and Z, through whatever. There must be... A million and one people that deserve to be in this country over than somebody that's fought in the Taliban. And I'm not for people not coming into the country and setting up and doing what they need to do if they genuinely fear for their lives. Thank you very much there, Jay. And it just goes to show people like yourself who are living with the mental and physical scars day in, day out. I totally get why you're saying no. Forget his human rights. Fuck him. Send him home. I, t- I totally get that. Um, especially when you hear about this interpreter who was serving alongside British forces who isn't been given the permission to stay in the UK, he's fighting them daily. So, yeah, it's really insightful getting people's opinions. Thanks to all three guests for their opinions and sharing them really honest truth there. I hope you guys at home or listening to this, you appreciate that. So, yeah, so the first podcast, what did you think? How did it go? Send a message, let me know. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, just yeah, send me over a message. How can we improve it? How can we get better? What can we do? So yeah, but let's be honest about it. It was the first one, so yeah, great. I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. And so please let's not forget my sponsors, Frontier Risks at www.frontierrisks.com. Go check them out. 
also subscribe wherever you get your podcast from share with your friends and family tell them what we're trying to do here and let's get moving on this let's get bigger and better and until next time whatever you do please don't argue with stupid people take care and we'll speak soon i'm emil geeson <laughs>